Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. It's a special Tuesday edition of Cofield and Company. Well, it's special because we're at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Justin Watkins, ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider, will be up in just a couple of minutes. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. John Von Tobel is here as the company. A sad day. You know, I, I think we're going to wind up, you know, sounding like we're reveling in the fact that some Raiders players have been cut. But I wanted to start out by saying it does suck. Now, some of the guys who have been cut or traded, if you're traded, you're obviously on another team. If you're cut, uh, you know, these guys are going to be picked up. But uh, just want to, you know, put it out there that, you know, for a lot of players who are cut on cutdown day, this does suck because you're working your patootie off to try to make an NFL roster. And a lot of times it's older guys. It's guys that have never really, really been able to break through. So today is not a fun day. And, you know, we've joked about it before on Hard Knocks. So it was the uh, episode that makes us cry. We'll be seeing that pretty soon with the Lions. But, uh, yeah, a lot of surprising news out there, John. A lot of surprising news. Let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Because we've all been cut in life, John, right? We've all been cut or downgraded at times, and it's not easy to deal with. And we'll get to Alex Leatherwood. Not a shocker, but, I mean, if you told everyone before last year's draft what would happen, it's pretty freaking shocking. There were some guys traded today who people didn't expect to be traded. So let's start with the Raiders because I don't know that everything is short up with its cornerbacks. Clearly, Nate Hobbs has surprised a lot and might be able to move outside and be really good at it. Rakia Sin was brought in as, you know, the other side at cornerback. But everyone expected Trayvon Mullen to come back, take back that starting spot. You know, he's been injured a bunch. And instead, the Raiders are like, yeah, we're good. We're good. They move on Trayvon Mullen for a seventh-round pick conditional to a sixth. And I saw a lot of Cardinals media people and NFL people are like, oh, starter for the Cardinals. Is he? Well, I think he's a starter because they're really desperate for a corner. I don't mean to be that a shot at Trayvon Mullen. I think one of the reasons why the Cardinals picked him up is because they have a really thin corner room, and it's not really filled with talent. And so I think when you get a guy like Mullen, where you're hoping that you're picking up, you're buying low. right? You're buying low, conditional six-run pick, and, hey, man, if he hits, well, then we got a corner that could potentially help us out in a room in which we're arguably our weakest, and if not, Okay, it was pretty cheap. It was an experiment, and that's about it. I think that's probably the reason why there was so much excitement. Are we super confident in the town evaluation personnel department of the Raiders? Because they're they're aggressive here and moving people and moving on from people and moving on from Gruden Mayock people. I, I mean, at this point, you, you better be. I mean, they better be confident in themselves. Because if you look at it, there's not a lot of proven depth, we'll call it, right? Because you said it. Nate Hobbs last year, remember that was that weird argument that you had or saw people having on Twitter by PFF standards, the fifth best co- coverage corner in the NFL last year. Um, you have Rock Yassin, who grades out very well as a coverage corner too. But then after that, I mean, there's not really a lot of proven commodities there. Uh, and that's, I think, the thing is, to your point, you're hoping that they're hitting this out of the park in terms of trusting that Hobbs can match up outside and trusting the depth that you have here. Because if they're right, well, then, hey, man, looks pretty smart flipping that for, you know, flipping um, Mullen for a pick of any sort because you've got some guys in your roster that you really trust. But in today's day and age, where offenses are getting more spread out and your corners are more and more uh, an important position to have, at least in terms of strength on defense, you better be right in what you're doing here. So Mullen was a second-round pick in 
2019. So keeping with that theme, yeah, the news of the day, and it just got worse and worse during preseason camp for Alex Leatherwood, who just didn't look like he was confident, was having a tough time out at right tackle. I guess they've elected to not even give him a shot at right guard. Uh, They have other guard candidates, a lot of journeymen, third-round pick in Dylan Parham, a guy they selected, McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. So Alex Leatherwood, the number 17 pick in last year's draft, is gone. Wow. I say it's shocking. I, I think it is very shocking. I mean, the only reason I said it wasn't shocking is that people started talking about it as a possibility right. of the last three days. But if you go to the beginning of camp, you know, certainly you go back to the draft. I mean, if anyone told you this guy was going to be such a flop that he would be cut before year two, that's a freaking disaster. It is shocking. Mm-hmm. And again, for everyone out there who will defend organizations and personnel people because you're a fan or you want to curry favor with the organization, you got to be really careful. Like you, It's okay to look at a draft, say, hey, this is basically where the guy was slated to go. And sometimes people upset the apple cart and take someone 30 spots ahead of where they were projected, and it works out. But it usually doesn't, and that was a pattern with Gruden and Mayock. And when Leatherwood got picked last year, most people were like, what? Expecting him to go in the mid-30s, somewhere in the 40s. We don't even know if he's a right tackle. He might be a right guard. And there were so many people who pushed back against that. And they were wrong. And Gruden and Mayock were wrong. And I don't know what the kid needs to, to get fixed. He seems like a nice guy. I hope he goes somewhere else and can play. But this is an utter disaster, especially because they've had Incognito retire. They had Denzel Good surprise everyone and walk. They didn't get super aggressive early in the draft. Not Well, they actually did. You know what? Hey, they made the choice to get Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. And we can look at that the next couple of years and go, hey, you traded your first and your second to get Devontae Adams. Could you have gotten by with a lesser receiver like the Chiefs are doing and like the Packers are doing, not spend $29 million and two picks and short up some other positions like your offensive line? Yeah. And, and for me, so I think I wanted to go out down the path where you kind of opened up with, which is, like the sadness of this, you know, like Alex Leatherwood in, in, in any sport, right? These are guys, especially a guy like Leatherwood. He's relatively young. There is still a chance he goes somewhere else and hits and catches on and, and improves. But that's the part to me that's shocking. It's that we obviously I don't get to, I didn't never went to practice in this, you know, training camp period or preseason period. And I like they must have seen enough behind the scenes that we did not see where it's just like we're not even getting the chance to develop. We're, we're just out of here where we just we can't do this at this point. Yeah. And that's the shocking part, because we see a lot. I mean, Andrew Thomas for the New York Giants, right? His first year, he was not very good. Second year catches on is a little bit better. Like those are the kind of things we see all the time for younger guys. And the, to me, like the downer about it is kind of like what you said. The second this pick was selected, the Raiders were criticized. And by extension, Alex Leatherwood was criticized and the magnifying glass was on him from the jump. And that can't be an easy situation. You know he hears the noise. Any single slip up, it's like, look, Raiders, we told you. You screwed that thing up. And now to be cut, like that just – that's the part that I kind of uh, really vibe with on this story. That sucks for the guy. And I really do hope that he catches on somewhere. And I tell you, something that stuck in my craw from the end of the Mayock-Gruden era. We know what happened with Gruden. We may hear from Gruden later on, by the way. He spoke publicly, so we'll see what kind of comments – he made about his future and his past since he's uh, in involved in a lawsuit 
against the NFL, one of the things that really got me in March was Mike Mayock, who got fired as a GM. You know, there were people here who wanted Mayock back, Basaccia back. Mark Davis, I think, make, made the right decision. I think he's got a good pair here in Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. But Mike Mayock went on Dan Patrick, and I thought this came off as, hey, you know what, I'm gone because Mark Davis is just a quirky guy and he's hard to satisfy. How do I respond? Why are you no longer the Raiders GM? I think at the end of the day, Dan, it's it's all about the owner has final say. And I think uh, Mark Davis has a good heart. Uh, I like Mark Davis personally. And at the end of the day, he decided that me and Rich Passaccia didn't get it done at the level he wanted or that he felt like uh, a couple other guys could get it done at a higher level going forward. And I have to respect that because he's the boss. Now, keep in mind, he set that up by walking through the end of the season and just how close they were to beating the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl AFC representative. Like, we were right there. But, you know, Mark Davis, at the end of the day, he made a decision, which, I mean, the Leatherwood thing is actually kind of in the middle of offenses committed by Gruden and Mayock. If you go back and, you know, roll in drafting Henry Ruggs, who turned out to be a jackass. Mm -hmm. Damon Arnett, who they knew was a jackass and then turned out to be a jackass. Right. And then Mayock, and he seems like a nice guy and he's a pretty good media guy. He was always friendly to us. But Mayock, to go on Dan Patrick and be like, I mean, Mark Davis, what are you going to do? We were right there. He made a decision. I just have to respect it. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Justin, coming up in just a little bit, you and I are fired up. I'm fired up. You're fired up. Raiders fans are fired up. Boy, the nail goes into the coffin, the final one of Gruden and Mayock with these drafts over the last couple of years. It's an amazing story. If you didn't see it, Alex Leatherwood, first-round pick last year, number 17 in the draft, was cut today by the new regime. They owe him nothing. I feel bad for the kid. He was probably, you know, like, clearly he was overdrafted. He shouldn't have been a first-round pick. And for McDaniels and Ziegler, this is – Hey, new regimes come in, they move on. They traded Trayvon Mullen today. They moved on from a bunch of guys beyond that. I think a lot of people were annoyed initially, like, uh, you know, Alec Engold, quality guy. He's a quality guy, but Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, he's not their guy. Um, And in this case, Leatherwood was just not working out. They don't feel like he can play guard. They apparently shopped him around the league. And, man, how bad is that? If you're the 17th pick in the draft one year and the next year before the season, you can't even get – like Trayvon Mullen, a second-round pick in 2019 didn't fetch much. A seventh-round pick conditionally to a sixth. You couldn't get anything for Alex Leatherwood. Yeah. I mean, I would say that maybe that's more representative of teams knowing that, like, hey, they're kind of – they're really looking to get rid of him. So maybe every every single person was like, ah, seventh. And the Raiders just didn't want to get something. I, I don't know. Or maybe right. they really got nothing, like absolutely well, nothing in I some mean, of those offers. Think about it. We got a league here where a – I'll say a bottom. I don't think he's like bottom three. Um, a bottom ten starting quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is a bottom ten starting quarterback. Now he's making a lot of money, but the money relief was going to be there. That guy couldn't fetch anything. 
people were just comfortable with him. Yeah, you release him, and then we'll work on it. So in the case of Leatherwood, who's really proven nothing and is at this point a project, no one wanted to step up. But I, I do want to point this out. So first of all, none there's there's none of the blame goes on Ziegler and McDaniel's here. Mm-hmm. He's not their guy. And in terms of just smashing the Raiders organization, you know there are times where you make mistakes on personnel or you make mistakes on handling your personnel, and you just have to rip uh, rip the scab off. And just say, hey, it's not working. Which I want to go back to yesterday when we find out the news about Garoppolo going back to the Niners. You know, negotiating his deal down from whatever it was, 25 mil a year this year to like six. And I saw a lot of people saying this is embarrassing for the Niners. Like embarrassing. They they kind of saved the day. Right. They stepped up. They admitted, hey, you know what? Without saying it, we're a little nervous about Trey Lance. And they were able to renegotiate at 25% of the money a backup quarterback who's led them to good times. They remedied the situation instead of being stubborn asses. I would also say, I don't even think it's being, it could necessarily, I guess it could be viewed as being nervous about Trey Lance. My argument would just be, hey, you know, we're probably going to do a lot of design run stuff with this guy. That's going to put him in harm's way more often than some of the other quarterbacks in the National Football League. We probably wanted like a veteran presence behind him that would allow us to feel comfortable if he is going to go down, right? And what better way to feel more comfortable than have his backup be the guy that led you to two NFC Championship games in the Super Bowl, right? I think it's probably the way to go. So, yeah, I don't really get that in terms of being embarrassing for the 49ers. And can I just say, too, to your point when we're talking about the Raiders, where, you know, I think a lot of this is, too, when it comes to McDaniel Ziegler and this new regime, sometimes it's not just about getting rid of the guys that aren't yours. They're drafted to fit a certain scheme. Maybe they just don't fit. Mike Gusecki, for example, is being floated out there. The Miami Dolphins tight end. Mike McD- he's probably he's one of the better receiving tight ends in the National Football League. But why does Mike McDaniel not really want him? Because he's not a blocking tight end that fits better with his scheme. Thus, he doesn't have the value for McDaniel. So I think that's probably something to look at here, too. And I'd also say, pump the like. this is the weird thing about the Mayock-Gruden era. There's been a whole lot of, <laughs> Raiders can't draft, told you. They, the weird thing about them was that they hit on the late round picks. Yeah, they're really like, good in the middle of the draft. Right, like fourth round on. Like, that's the real winners. So, like, that was the weird dynamic with all of this. So I would also pump the brakes on, like, tap dancing on the grave of the Raiders because they got some contributors on this roster from those guys that were, like, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks. You may actually look back and say Gruden and Mayock nailed three top 20 players at their position yeah. in Hobbs. Renfro and Crosby. Crosby's already top 10 in his position. I would argue now that Renfro's top 20 and Hobbs could be there. He's already got Derwin James calling him uh, one of the better wide receivers out there, right? Derwin Derwin James stepped up big time, you know, shooting down Ryan Clark, who wanted to call him an encyclopedia salesperson. So, yeah, it's such a mixed bag. But so much is judged on the first round because you can't make up for all that draft capital because the whole plan was, hey, one, we don't have the money to pay Amari Cooper, and more importantly, Khalil Mack. We get all these first-round picks. The total haul... From 2019 to 2021, and again, we're talking about Alex Leatherwood, last year's 17th pick in the draft, the number one selection of the Raiders, cut today by the new regime. The total haul from 19 to 21, Cleef Earl at number four. Keep in mind, productive defensive ends, productive linebackers, you know, Devin White, Josh Allen went after him. Three first-round picks, Furl, Jacobs, Abram, I think Jacobs has a chance to have a long career. 
I don't know what's going to happen with Jonathan Abram. I don't. But every one of those guys didn't get their fifth-year option picked up. Last year is a total disaster. Ruggs killed one of our locals in a car accident. Damon Arnett turned out to be a complete crumb and hasn't even been able to take advantage of second and third chances. They're both gone. And then Leatherwood. And then you also look back, you know, some of the drafts, even those middle round picks. Remember how remember how they bragged about, hey, we've got three third round picks. It's gotta be three starters. And if I'm correct, was that did uh Tanner Muse turn out to be like a, a what's it called? Supplemental third like at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, but Muse, Lynn Bowden, and Brian Edwards, I think, can be a decent player, but he's already gone too. Right. They were so bad. And now Trayvon Mullen's gone. They were so bad drafting for the most part in the first, second, and third rounds. And, and again, like that's the thing that compounded it, as we talk about a lot. It's not even just not hit, because a lot of people are going to point to you didn't hit in terms of getting guys who can contribute to a roster. It wasn't even that. Because there's a lot of teams out there that miss on first round picks. The point is, is that you did not value, that regime did not value first round picks the way that the masses did in terms of the National Football League. So they were overdrafting guys, not spending that capital right. Or spending it well, excuse me. So like when you're talking about that, that's what makes it the problem. It's not even so much not hitting. A lot of teams fail to hit on first round picks. It's the fact that they failed in viewing them as currency and spent them inappropriately because they were consistently reaching on guys who weren't, who weren't going to go in the spots in which they picked them. You know, if Gruden weren't the GM, because he was, well, and he didn't get the finish last year, but the team that they had to work with after missing on all those first-round picks right. to make the playoffs is actually like coach of the year material, but he was also the GM. Yeah, and I go back, too, to your the, the clip from Dan Patrick, and, like, that's the thing. Like, I wish my Mike Mayock, because we always wonder about that dynamic, right? Like, who had final say, yeah, what Mayock say. really did. Like, if it does make me wonder, like, if you're Mayock, like, I guess maybe you're just not friends with John Gruden anymore. But what, like, if you want another job in this league, what's stopping you from just going, yeah, you know what? Like, John wanted those guys. I wanted X, Y, and Z. Okay? And I'm tired of getting thrown under the bus for it. He seems comfortable right now. Right. So, if he wants to get back as a personnel person, does he just flip out in two years and go, all right, enough. Okay, enough of being saddled with his bad picks. I got to tell the truth. My guess is he never does that because right. I think he is a pretty classy guy and that he's going to go down with the ship. Can I also say, and I saw this pointed out, and I actually thought, because you know Twitter, but I actually thought this was one tweet I looked at, and I was like, you know what? That's kind of an interesting point. If you're like the NFL Network or ESPN, does he work for NFL Network now? I think he's not doing anything at this point, right? Does he ever make his way back onto like an NFL draft type thing? Could, could, like, you know, I thought about this a lot, too. He right. could. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of bad coaches. But would you take criticism from Mike Mayock or just listen to him seriously after knowing he was part of a regime that spectacularly failed with some of its top draft picks? Matt Millen has gotten back into broadcasting and been around for like another 10 or 12 years after the Lions. Yeah. So it it fades eventually. Didn't he draft Calvin Johnson, though? He drafted Mike Williams. Did he draft? I don't know if he did. I can't remember. Yeah, it was... uh, was it Rodgers and, and Williams back to back? He, I mean, they were just a mess of an organization. But yeah, there are there are people who weren't great at their football jobs. There's a lot of head coaches. I don't know. Should is Rex Ryan a good head coach? I mean, he's good for TV because he's a loudmouth. I mean, I mean, he's got he he's got a, you know last year he showed a big sack throwing it on the table saying that Brandon Staley should be you know coaching Division three football, not in the NFL. He had success. Yeah, he did draft uh, Calvin Johnson. By the way, Matt. He did. Yeah. See, he knows what he's doing. 
So he got he got one of them. All right. But there there are there are football people who were not great at their jobs who had long broadcasting careers. And yeah. Mayock, it doesn't. What what is Mayock going to do? Sit there and talk about his resume all the time on TV? Like, well, I mean, I know I just you know, I didn't pick the first round, but I was responsible for you know a lot of the third, fourth, and fifth. I just know that if I'm watching a broadcast in the future and Mike Mayock's on it during a draft and he's like, you know, they really reached there. They're like, oh, did they, Mike? Yeah. Well, did they really? The hard thing Tell now is with more. social media, you've always got some snark who's going to fire something out. Matt Millen didn't was was not really yeah. back into broadcasting when social media was gigantic. If it was now, you know, if he had just finished off an NFL job and now he's criticizing teams and players, he'd have a problem. Yeah, so a times have, times have changed a bit. He was an executive in 2008 last, so yeah, it's been a while. It is vicious now. People do not let you forget. Oh, never. It's. Some of the things I some of the things that get brought up from like 10, 15 years ago. It's absolutely nuts. And there's clips immediately. People never forget. Uh, big show tomorrow. We're going to be on the road for the uh, beginning of the Steve Sear Summer Tour 2022. Our spot is Ellis Island. Have you been there? Front yard. Fabulous build out uh, right in front of the uh, original building at Ellis Island. They've uh, redone much of the inside. Awesome gaming. They actually have three to two blackjack. I never thought I'd have to tout that, but they still have it. Uh, craps, 10 time odds, $5 games. Also, great food specials. The front yard every day. They've got the uh, microbrews for five bucks. They got the brew house, uh, brew pub uh, brewing right there. Also, check it out during NFL games. That's going to start up on September 8th. They're going to have uh, all you can drink packages in the front yard. Very cool there. And of course, they've got their legendary cafe, the uh, steak special. It's actually not on the menu. You just got to ask for it. 10 ounce sirloin has been around forever. It's uh, just 12 bucks with. The LSI and players card tomorrow we're out there live three o'clock three o'clock three o'clock. Steve Sear is on hand. Randy Couture, former UFC champion, is going to join us and many other special guests. So stop on by and in the five o'clock hour, Ellis Island is giving away tickets to the Raiders game, the opener against the Cardinals. It's Cofield and Company on the road on a Wednesday at Ellis Island. That's tomorrow at three o'clock. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers seven zero two five seven zero nine thousand with your questions today. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Davey T is here. It's Cofield. So, very serious story, and uh, we like to tread lightly on these things because clearly no one has all the facts around an alleged rape. But the details that are out are pretty bad, the allegations. Matt Ariza and two former San Diego State players are at the center of the allegation. A 17-year-old claims that she was raped last October. That's during the San Diego State football season. Uh, The other two guys are gone from the team. Ariza, if you don't know who he is, amazing punter, was the Ray Guy award winner. 51.2 yards a kick. Gets drafted. That doesn't happen often in the NFL where punters are drafted. He was the third punter drafted. He's headed for potential stardom as a freaking punter on the Bills. And then the young lady and her family apparently are completely frustrated with the way the process has been handled since last October. And they filed a civil lawsuit. We can get into the Bills end of it and what the NFL is going to do here and a lot of the legal stuff at a later point, but 
San Diego State's got some problems here, and I think they shined a light on the problems with their behavior yesterday. I think they just asked for even more digging because yesterday was embarrassing. J.D. Wicker, the AD, and Brady Hoke, the coach, come out. They read prepared statements, and then they pull the, we're only going to talk football from here. Well, you've got the news media there. It's not going to fly. They're going to keep asking questions, as they should. Mm -hmm. Be prepared to answer questions, and if you can't do it legally, then have an attorney there. So... Folks try to ask a couple of questions. They storm out. This is, that it, that is ridiculous and outrageous and childish. And they knew how bad it was because they came back 15 minutes later and answered questions. Well, Brady Hoke didn't. We're, well, I, honestly, I, I, Brady Hoke, I'm not going to say he seems like a decent guy because there's some questions right now. Well, if, but I don't I don't believe I'm going to be honest. I don't believe Brady Hoke. I don't think a lot of football coaches are equipped to answer questions like this. Now, here's the thing. You're generally the highest paid employee at the school. So you should be prepped to handle anything. And they had a couple of days to get ready for this. And neither one of them apparently was ready. See, I didn't know Hoke didn't come back out. So Wicker no, came he, back out. No, Hoke came back out. Oh, he just didn't but say he only answered football questions. Yeah, which is weak sauce. And, and to me, too, really, just not to cut you off, but yeah, yeah. for me, I think Brady Hoke should be held to a higher standard because, again, Brady Hoke at Michigan had a player involved in a sexual assault, which he tried to sweep under the rug with, ah, muscle problem, ah, family issue, ah, he's just not with the team anymore. And it turned out he got expelled, this player, because of sexual assault. So if you're Brady Hoke... You don't get to play the only football card because right. this is now the second football program that has been under you, which there has been this sort of incident that seemingly hasn't really mattered or has been, again, to use the phrase, swept under the rug. And that's what I find a little bit more irritating about Brady Hoke's response, which is, sorry, buddy. One, to your point, journalists are going to do their job and ask tough questions. Two, you should be prepared because you had something like this happen under you at Michigan, right. and it was a problem. Yeah. I just, I just mean from a smart standpoint, I don't think right, he's equipped. Yeah. And then if that's mean, I, well, he didn't handle it yesterday like an adult. So there's a lot of damning stuff here. Lots. And we started asking a question late last week. Hey, how much did San Diego State know about this and when did they know about it? And apparently there were lots of rumors going around campus, going back to, you know, shortly after October. We're going to bring up a note later on. I think it's incredibly damning. But... The Aztec program embarrassed itself last week. And by the way, I don't want to turn this into like something that really isn't that important, but it is. And this is something else I mentioned last week. If you're looking to move to big boy conferences, I guess, well, one, if I was a smart ass, I would say, hey, the Big 12 and Baylor, well, you're a match. Um, but, you know, they like you'd want to be squeaky clean and make sure you have everything going right. This is embarrassing. So Justin Watkins is here, our legal insider. So where do you want to start on a rise of where San Diego State and how they handled it yesterday, and then some of the history going back, because it looks like they had some pretty decent knowledge, at least about the allegations, uh, going back to last October or November, shortly after this girl, 17 years old, went the next day to police. Yeah, I actually think that San Diego State's in a tough position on what to do here when the student didn't go to them, went to the San Diego Police Department, 
And then by all accounts in this, I, I believe this probably to be true based on how this factually laid out. San Diego police went to the university and said, hey, we've got this allegation. We don't want you to do anything yet. Right. We want we do not want you to do your investigation because it will affect ours. And the reason why I believe that that's true is because in her complaint, she specifically says that the San Diego police had her call Ariza and try to get these admissions in a telephone call. So they were doing this like sting operation. And so it would make sense for them to say, hey, university, don't suspend, don't do anything, don't do any investigation, because if you do, our chance to catch him in, in, in an admission is gone. Now, how long did that take? And whether or not that they, you know, did they say, hey, hold on, and they meant 30 days? And San Diego State said, sweet, we'll just wait until the end of the road here before we do anything, and they've waited nine months? Or... Were they all on the same page and they were all working together and the San Diego police is saying, in order for us to catch this person and make your campus safer, we need you to sit in the back seat, cooperate with us, but don't do anything separate from us that would tip these people off as to our investigation. Do we, have, we don't have a timeline on when the calls were made? That's not in the complaint, no. Okay. So. I mean, but but if if the San Diego police back up San Diego State's story, which is, yeah, we are still doing these investigations. We're still trying to get these other two. We're still trying to get these guys and get admissions and talk to all the party goers. And if San Diego State were to start suspending players, everybody would clam up and we wouldn't be able to get to these witnesses. They are doing exactly what we asked. And I know that the former San Diego State, you know, compliance person is saying, um, you know, this isn't the way to handle claims for abuse and, and sexual misconduct and rape because it doesn't make the, that, that the university has an obligation to make this, all the other students safer. I, I think if that's what's happening, I think that does make the students safer to try to catch these people rather than hamper the investigation, get everybody to clam up and they get nowhere. Um, I think it's always better to get, you know, hold people accountable for the actions they had rather than, you know, make, make a big fuss and nobody gets held accountable. We got to know a lot more about this case in terms totally. of the physical evidence that they got from the 17 year old. Right. Cause if they, if they had good physical evidence, I'm not buying. They were making the, you know, the dragging out investigation. I'm not buying that they were making the rest of the campus safer. I'm sorry. I'm not. And I, I don't know. I'll ask you if I'm, if I'm the AD and I come to you, we find out about it and I come to you, you're an attorney at San Diego state. And I say, you know what? We got, I feel like we got to suspend Matt Arisa. What do we do? Do you give them that message? Hey, you got to let the police do their work. If I would want, if, if I'm cooperating with them, I'd want to know, I want to be a partner in that investigation. What does this look like? How long is this going to take? I, I agree with you. If the physical evidence is damning, but if the physical evidence was damning, I don't think that they're setting up a phone call to get him to admit to it. I, I just don't think that, that that doesn't make any sense to me. If they have a rape kit, identified individuals, they can they can go get, they have probable cause. They can go match this stuff up. They don't need him to admit it on a, on a phone call. What I thought was interesting about Riza's attorney is he said, he guarantees, he can state for a fact, he did not enter that bedroom. But there's two, there's two allegations, yeah, right. right? The oral sex outside which 
just based on their ages, a statutory rape. Doesn't matter if it's consensual or not. And then the instance inside. So he hasn't fully exonerated his client by saying that. So let's let's take that and, and let's assume that the we could read in some truth there that something happened outside with the Riza and that in the bedroom he's not there. <clears throat> that would make sense to me as to why they need to place the phone call to Ariza and try to get him to admit to what happened outside because the rape kit wouldn't show that mm -hmm. it was oral sex. So, uh, but, but if I'm San Diego state, I don't just say, Oh, you don't want me to do anything cool. And then just like, wait to hear word about what's going on. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. There's a lot of evidence to come out on this, but if the police asked me not to, as a part of a sting operation, that they needed to, to try to get this person held accountable and I could be a participant in it and be aware of where it's at along the way, then I'm probably agreeing. One more. If you're an attorney working with the school, um, would you attend that press conference yesterday? And what would you what would you do if they do you go up there? Do you want to be part of that? Like as as the AD and the coach are storming out of the press conference, aren't you like this is our worst nightmare? What are you doing? I mean, I think that's that's PR and not, you know, I don't think legally they've said anything that in, increases any liability on the part of San Diego State. I mean, there, there is no allegation against San Diego State that they somehow enabled this. They, they're just getting criticized on the back end after the fact for not suspending, which is not there's no criminal or legal liability there, neither. So from a lawyer standpoint, this is this is a PR issue. It's not a legal issue. Um, it's how you want to look. Uh, and you know, they don't look particularly good, but if San Diego police come out and back them, they're going to look a lot better from your perspective. What have you made of the defense lawyer for Ariza and the way he's been handling himself, like the interviews, calling it a shakedown publicly, things like that. I mean, that's kind of where he has to go. Yeah. Right. I think, um, although I don't know if he needs to state anything publicly just because I mean, he's already been released, right? He's not going to get a job until this this sort of works itself out. Um, and we are, it, it, this isn't a situation like Deshaun Watson where we know there are going to be no criminal prosecution. We don't know that. Um, in fact, they said they expect San Diego's district attorney to make their decision by the end of the month. That was like last week. Based on how big this story's gotten, I would be surprised if that decision comes by the end of the month. Um, unless, unless the decision is to prosecute, then I think it'll come sooner than later. Um, but if the decision is not to prosecute, uh, I think the district attorney is going to want to have his ducks in a row. Um, I think the fact that she filed a civil lawsuit indicates that that is probably the resolution that there is not going to be a criminal prosecution, which also then lends to the, the theory. If she went the next day, got a rape kit, made the complaint. I would have to think that that evidence in the rape kit was at best inconclusive or not helpful to her allegation. Okay, that's because I was going to ask. It seems somewhat rare that you're going to file a civil lawsuit before the criminal investigation is over with. I wouldn't do it. No? Especially if you have a belief, as they stated, that there is going to be some, um, uh, that the district attorney is going to take a position on this by the end of the month. I mean, why, why file it before that? Now, there can be instances in which you would, if we have a concurrent sort of civil, civil and criminal that you would want to lead the charge by filing a civil complaint, what are those instances? Instances in which you think the criminal action is not that strong. 
Let's take a quick break. There's one other thing that San Diego State did last year uh, within a month of the alleged gang rape that I thought was really curious. So we'll hit that next with our legal insider, Justin Watkins. 570-9000 is the number here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. So we're talking Matt Ariza, former San Diego State punter, goes to the Bills in the draft, rape allegations out. When everyone knew about these rape allegations is unclear going way back. Uh, The allegations came to light because of a lawsuit filed by the alleged victim. The one other thing I wanted to mention to you is, so you, so San Diego State has been clear that they did know about allegations and they were told by the San Diego police to just let us do our work because it was interesting that they brought in a rape crisis counselor to speak to athletes at the school in November. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's their... St- their story as they're stating it now is that they were contacted by police. They were not contacted by the victim. So the only time that they became aware of this is through the police. Um, and they were asked not to conduct an internal investigation until the police had for, uh, completed theirs. Um, and so I don't know how how long thereafter, but in November of that year, they hired a rape counselor to be part of the staff. She is now a little upset by, you know, kind of her retention and that is kind of under false pretenses. Basically, I thought I was coming in here to help, but I think I might have been coming in here for PR cover more than anything. I don't know that I could. I'm not obviously I'm not one of the parties, but I don't know if I can agree with that because they didn't really promote her. And they weren't trying to shield themselves from a story that was public yet. So I don't know that the PR makes any sense angle. Um, But anyway, she indicates that they had told her there had been some sort of incident, but they weren't giving her the details. Um, And so she didn't give the details to anybody else in their presentation. Um, But there's there's a quote in there from an anonymous source that basically everybody knew. That the rumor mill throughout campus and throughout the football team is everybody knew of what was going on. Um, but I, I guess my response to that be knew what knew that there was a criminal investigation or that something had happened at a party with a, a young girl, you know, uh, the, the, the new is, is, is important. Do they know that the school was waiting to hear from the police? You know, the, the quote is 99% of the football players are aware of a five person rape. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, again, like you say, it's like it's hearsay and whatnot. Right. But what, what, is, yeah, yeah. The, well, knew about allegations, right? You know, I don't. I, who know? I don't know. I don't know if that would if you that's what that, that means far. either. Okay. Right? Like ninety nine percent of the people knew that five people had had sex at the same time with a seventeen year old, and is that was their, their terming? Right. You know, did they know that the police were investigating? Did they know that the girl had had made an allegation and that there had been a rape kit and that you know I don't know what. I, there's no way 99% of the people had the same understanding. So, that's just not true. When it comes to um, the statutory rape, right, because she's mm-hmm. 17 years old, 
with the he said, she said of I told him I was 17. No, she didn't. How important is that in charging him with that? Or is it just, no, it doesn't matter if there was some sort of deception, whatever it is. You did the action with a 17-year-old, thus you are in violation of the law. The second, okay, right? It, doesn't, it does not matter. It does not matter what you were told. Um, hey, I'm 22. Cool. I thought you were 22, mm. which is is makes for a hot debate because it's it the first one wild, of the first yeah. things you learn in law school is in the criminal statutes is, is this and it's like how can that be is is it my responsibility to be like a notary public and and ask for id and and all this stuff and the answer is it's not a great solution but the alternative is worse which is that everybody will just always say oh she told me she was 20. Yeah. um so you you have to be very careful. Um, it does not matter what you were told. Um, the age of consent in California is different than Nevada, Nevada at 16. So this would not have been statutory rape in Nevada, um, but in California it is. John, let's do, let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's do your uh, your game, Epic Games. Okay. Lawsuit and trademarks and copying stuff. So I find this pretty fascinating and it's also because it's a big picture thing. So first off, I have to add, did you watch the video I sent you? It's a really short video. No. Okay. It'll take me two seconds to pull up. So anyway, so what is it? You know what Fortnite is? Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen this video before. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. so, right. yeah, yeah. I know so, the video. So for those who don't understand, you know, Fortnite video game, and part of the thing is they have emotes. So you can like, you know, fit popular dances, whatever it is. You can make a character do it. So this has come up before because famous dances prior um, have been brought in terms of a lawsuit. Uh, those dances, according to the Supreme Court, were copyrighted, thus that you cannot sue because of infringement, right? So... Most recently, we had a choreographer, Kyle Hanagami, um, file a lawsuit against Epic because he says his dance was stolen by Epic and put in their game. He copyrighted his dance, yep. but it was dismissed because apparently, according to the Supreme Court, essentially what's at stake here is the length of the dance that they stole uh, from the, uh, the judge's ruling. Uh, the Copyright Act's legislative history specifically states that choreographic works do not include social dance steps and simple dance routines. Whichever way the court evaluates plaintiff steps, two seconds, four beats of music, or eight body positions repeated ten times throughout the ah. choreography, defendant has the better of the argument. So the Supreme Court didn't say that. The, the Supreme California Court, court yeah. came in and said, this, this is four years ago, and said, um, we're not going to recognize uh, infringement claims, copyright infringement claims on choreography unless that choreography, uh, the choreography or the dance is copyrighted. You can't sue unless it's copyrighted. You, yeah, you can't sue unless it's copyrighted. So that kicked out a whole bunch of cases that potentially could have gone against Epic. This guy did copyright his, his dance moves and sued and this particular judge this 100 will be appealed okay this 100 right. will be appealed it's but identical this, but this judge said what what i think he's taking the line of is is if we're only talking about a handful of movements that's not the intent of choreography that's not really choreography mm -hmm. it's a couple of moves repeated over and over again and he's he's almost taking what you guys know in radio business as fair use, right? This right. is just a clip. And I can use a clip in fair use to, as part of a story, as a part of entertainment, as a part of the packaging of what I'm presenting to an audience. And so that's the best way to look at what his logic is, is when we're talking about this entire thing takes place in less than two seconds, and there's a total of seven moves, this is a fair use issue. And, and I'm going to allow it. Uh, but I think he acknowledges that 
reasonable minds can differ. So, I mean, I, th I think you're going to see this absolutely on appeal and it might go all the way to the Supreme Court. It, it might go all the way there. I mean, they, they heard the issue in the first place that said it had to be copyrighted. Um, now this is the next step. Because I thought too, it kind of opens a can of worms, doesn't it? Like if you're epic, you're like, huh, cool, famous dances. I'll just take the first couple of moves and we'll put it as part of a package and then we'll start selling these off. Like if, if this stands, right? right? Couldn't they just start doing that if that is the actual ruling? Right, but the but we don't know where's right. that line. Right. That's what was tough about the ruling is we don't, there's no line drawn there. So I would say if, if I'm the attorney for Epic, I say, you better be within one second and one move of that one. <laughs> you know, keep it real close. Don't go too far. Uh, and then, yes, absolutely. Rip them off. Yeah. Like, go. But, again, it absolutely will be appealed. So you might want to hold your horses. It's great. Even down to the finger movements. Like, yeah, it's, it's, identi it it's, exact, it's identical. It is identical. It is identical. We got a minute left. We did our fantasy football draft with the uh, Kansas City people last week. Boy, oh boy, I just looked at your team. What exactly happened here? You used to be the king of the wide receivers. So then I was like, oh, you must have got a lot of good running backs. Uh, apparently now you're the king of the tight ends. Huh. I don't know, man. It's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. Which means I probably have a good team because I absolutely hate a ton of the people I drafted. Oh. I mean, my quarterback is my least favorite player in all of the NFL. Oh, boy. Um, well, you can watch him every Sunday locally. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to say who it was, but you're a charger, Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, my running backs are actually pretty good. Uh, Javante Williams, Zeke, Melvin Gordon, Zeke no, Elliott. No, look at my, he's yeah. the second best Travis running back HN. on that team. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, you're, you're I, got, I, got three, I got three, I got three starting running backs. And if, if Zeke's my guy on the bench, that's so, so be it. I got Cooper Cup. I got some players. That's a good point, actually. You do have Cooper Cup. And Drake, I got two, Drake, and I got two London, of the though. top four tight ends in the league. You did nail it with the tight ends. Justin, we appreciate it. Thanks, 5709000 is the number at Battleborn Injury Lawyers.